Hello and welcome to the ACT 2025 podcast, a new World Resources Institute series looking at the forthcoming COP26 climate conference from the point of view of the most climate vulnerable countries. I'm Nicholas Walton. In this episode, we're looking at the issue of ambition. The rich developed countries, their ambition levels are not going to keep us safe and ensure our survival. So what needs to be done and where? We need to see more action. We cannot just adapt our way out of this crisis. Hello. The forthcoming COP26 climate negotiations soon to take place in the British city of Glasgow are seen as critical if the world is going to avoid catastrophic climate change. But what does success look like from the point of view of low-income countries on the front line of climate change impacts? Many of them have joined a grouping called ACT 2025 to make sure their voices are heard. And this series is about the issues that are important to them. First, WRI's Molly Bergen spoke to Mark Bino, the Assistant Executive Director of the Caribbean Community Climate Change Centre, one of the partner organisations in ACT 2025. What climate change impacts is he seeing in the Caribbean? We are continually tracking the effects of climate change on our region. We have seen since my time at the center the devastating impacts on Grenada based on Hurricane Ivan. We saw the effects of the one in 100 year flood in Guyana. And both of these events wiped out significant portions of the gross domestic product of those countries in the said year. We have seen similar impacts on the Commonwealth of Dominica, on Barbuda, that destroyed 100% of their housing stock. Estimates are that over the last decade, the Caribbean region has lost 3.7% of its GDP on an annualized basis. Now, these are just the economic costs that we speak of. The socio-economic costs and the cultural impacts, these are a lot more severe, but often are not tracked with the same level of diligence. Things like increased spousal abuse, increased alcoholic consumption, climate change migrants. It is becoming an existential threat. How would you summarize the main concerns that vulnerable countries have right now regarding the current level of ambition of climate action internationally? We need to see more action. It is not that the resources aren't there. We saw how countries pulled together in the recent COVID-19 pandemic. We have seen recently the flooding taking place in Germany. By the same token, flooding is happening in Uganda even as we speak. But is it getting the same kind of coverage? The discussion about ramping up ambition is essential simply because we cannot just adapt our way out of this crisis. In any event, the 100 billion U.S. that was supposed to have been deposited from 2015 up to 2020 annually has not been realized. We don't even have a sum total of $100 billion as we speak in terms of climate financing. It is estimated that in the region, we are having to find on average about $76 billion annually in terms of dealing with the effects of climate change and slow onset events. Now, this in itself is quite challenging. And so we need to ensure that we're looking to the future in terms of reducing our vulnerabilities, 
And that is why we're asking for greater ambition, because this is not just about a handout or persons seeking to gouge. It's the realities that we face. And as I said, a number of the non-economic costs are often not captured. What is captured often is the point event. So persons coming immediately after a disaster and they leave. But what happens three years later? What happens four years later? So these are some of our concerns. That's why we are asking for greater ambition. In the discussion around greater ambition, however, we are not naive to think climate financing would be the only consideration. We're also looking for emissions to be reduced. Otherwise, we are fearful that we will miss the target we have set ourselves by 2030 in terms of decarbonizing and meeting a net zero target. From that standpoint, therefore, we wish to look at all the opportunities that are available to us. Technology, information sharing, and alliances that have to be established for us to put pressure to really ramp up these ambitions. What specifically are you calling for countries to do by the end of COP26 to increase ambition? It includes reviewing their current national determined contributions because it is that vehicle through which most are seeking to reduce their emissions level and to see whether we are any closer to the commitments that were made. Secondly, we're also very interested in determining the kind of implementation moves that we wish to see. So, for example, only yesterday we heard about China, for example, opening up her carbon market. But is it going to get us to where we want to be? Is it really going to help us to reduce emissions level? So we want to see greater ambition, greater implementation of the Paris Agreement. It's not just about emissions. It's about technology transfers. It's about capacity building. It's about climate financing. It's about transparency. And that was Mark Bino. You're listening to a special WRI podcast series on what vulnerable countries want from COP26. Next, Molly Bergen spoke to Tasneem Esop. She's the Executive Director of Climate Action Network. She underlined that the level of ambition at COP26 had to match the level of devastation that climate change could cause to the world's most vulnerable. So this is not only about vulnerable countries, but we really have to look at it in its widest scope. These are vulnerable countries, vulnerable communities, and vulnerable people. And essentially, this is an issue of survival, not just in terms of life and death survival, but survival of your livelihoods, survival of your homes, your cultures, your heritage, and that is being fundamentally threatened by the levels of actions or ambition that governments across the world, and especially those who are most responsible for the crises, the you know, rich developed countries, their ambition levels are not going to keep us safe and ensure our survival. And keeping global warming within the 1.5 degree limitations is something that is seriously under threat with the current level of ambition. And 1.5, to be quite honest, is not safe enough. But it is a critically important threshold to maintain. And if not, 
then we are talking about a huge threat to survival. What specifically do countries need to do by the end of COP26 to increase ambition? They shouldn't be doing it by the end of COP26. There's a lot that they need to do before COP26. And they can do it without needing to be at a COP to do it. So there are existing commitments that countries have made already in the Paris Agreement. So the whole process of increasing your ambition through enhanced national commitments is something that they needed to do by the end of last year already. Many of them have not yet submitted those enhanced ambitions. They need to do that. And they need to demonstrate that these ambitions have in fact increased by very real plans, especially in relation to what they are going to do to address their dependency on fossil fuels, which is one of the key drivers of climate change. And so we would want to see those things up front. What are you doing to stop investments in fossil fuels? The other issue that can be dealt with ahead of the COP is this long decade-old commitment of providing finance to developing countries. The $100 billion per annum commitment by 2020 is unfulfilled. And we've heard vulnerable countries saying the issue of finance, and especially finance for loss and damage, is going to be an important measure of success of COP26. So certainly there's a lot of homework for especially rich countries to do before they get to Glasgow. Outside of the UN negotiations, what other work needs to be done, um, especially in this next very important decade to close the emissions gap? The important thing is sort of outside of the UNFCCC, but should be brought more and more into the UNFCCC in a very explicit way. And that is the issue of fossil fuels and moving away very strongly from our dependence on fossil fuels, our investments in fossil fuels, because the alternatives are there. So there's no reason for governments across the world to understand that it is fossil fuel dependency that is driving climate change, that alternatives exist. Renewable energy has been proven to be feasible, to be viable, to be affordable. So the solutions are there as well. And what we need is, of course, scaled up financing to ensure massive rollout of these alternative renewable energy solutions. And that's what needs to be done. So a big focus has to be, of course, on addressing this particular issue of shifting away from fossil fuels, doing this, of course, in, you know, in a way that is just that ensures that we do not leave anyone behind, that those who are most impacted, whether it's through jobs, potential job losses, or whether it's just the kind of impacts that the industry has had on communities, that those are also addressed as we move away from fossil fuels towards renewables. It is a conversation that we cannot avoid any longer We need to have a global effort around this. We need to have global cooperation around this. And certainly a multilateral space like the UNFCCC is going to be an important space for these very hard and difficult decisions to be made. 
and that was Tasneem Esop. Finally, as we will do in all these Act 2025 podcasts, we will turn to WRI's Director of Climate Negotiations, Yami Danier. What does she want to see at COP26 on this question of ambition? The upcoming COP must signal credible commitments to close the gap towards limiting global temperature increase to 1.5 degrees. And this includes decisive acknowledgement and response to the latest IPCC reports. And it will require all countries to submit commitments by no later than 2025 to reflect higher ambition, greater resilience based on the finding of the IPCC reports, and also the outcome of the ratcheted process and collective review established by the Paris Agreement, which we call Global Stocktake, that is starting at COP26 for the next two years. That's going to be uh, an important signal. But also those countries whose latest climate plans, you know, whose latest NDCs do not align with the 1.5 temperature goal should be encouraged to submit and revise earlier than 2025 because Clearly, by COP, it will be clear that we're really far still from achieving the goal of the Paris Agreement. And because, actually, we knew that it would be difficult to get to the direction in one go, we need to make sure, however, based on the urgency, that we get there for the next cycle. In your view, Yamid, what's at stake if uh, this level of ambition is not matched? (sighs) You see, what is at stake here is that, you know, the Paris Agreement gave us a destination, prosperity for all, for a clean, sustainable future. And we all booked a ticket. And those with the most resources should have no excuse for missing their flights. They should be the first on board. But no, some of them still prefer to remain in a civilization broken down by our broken ecological system. And we we need to stop that. Countries should not keep bickering during this international conference on short-term interest while the planet is burning or drowning. You know, if we want to be remembered as good ancestors, our way forward is clear. Close the gap towards 1.5 degrees C. With more, better, faster climate action, especially from major emitters and advanced economies who have contributed most to the problem and continue to lag behind. We need a relentless pursuit of a green and more resilient recovery from the unprecedented COVID pandemic, and we need more solidarity. This is what is at stake. And of course, as we are shifting towards implementation, all ends need to be on deck. So efforts from the private sector, civil society, citizens, academia, all constituencies will be paramount. And of course, accountability is key. There, there cannot be greenwashing. There needs to be continued observation, pressure, accountability mechanism to make this work. Uh, Now, you have experience, extensive experience of being actually in the room when such decisions are being made, debated, etc. What are you looking out for to see whether the ambition that you're calling for is being met? This is an important question because there are things that we will be looking for before the COP and during the COP. 
And, you know, those will be the commitments, you know, from countries. There's, you know, about 100 NDCs, climate plans that needs to be submitted and long-term strategies. So, you know, they're supposed to, to still be submitted by the UN General Assembly in the run-up to the COP and at the COP. And we will be tracking, you know, what's coming up to see to which extent is going to close the gap. We will also be watching the pledges from developed countries on finance at a time when solidarity is key. And we've seen some good progress. Some countries have indicated some increase of their finance, but we are not where we need to be. There's still about a 20% gap to commitments that have been made before. The other thing that we need to watch is, you know, all the signals coming from the real economy. There's been a campaign by climate champions, and we need to see how also the private sector and all the initiatives are also going to shape the way we're going to do better. And that was Yami Danye ending this Act 2025 podcast series, looking at what vulnerable countries want from the COP26 climate conference in Glasgow. This one was about ambition. In the series, we'll also be looking at finance, rules, loss and damage, and adaptation. And you can find them all, plus much more on COP26 and what it means and why it's important on our website. That's at wri.org slash act2025. I'm Nicholas Walton, and I was joined on this podcast by my colleague, Molly Bergen. Goodbye, and thanks for listening.